Now, time for McNamara on Money, sponsored by McNamara Financial Services. Hi, this is Mike McNamara. I've had this show on WATD for over 25 years, and I figure it's okay to take a day off once in a while. This is one of those days. My good friend Pat Harridan from Longfellow Benefits will be sitting in for me today. Before the show begins, I have to take care of some legal business. My company, McNamara Financial Services, Inc., is a registered investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC regulates us, and that means many things. For one, we are held to a fiduciary standard with regard to client care. We are required by law to always do what is our client's best interest. That also happens to be a pretty good way to run a business. And by the way, not all folks who call themselves financial advisors are held to that fiduciary standard. And another thing is that we are prohibited from using third-party endorsements in our advertising. That means that Pat can't say anything nice about any of the partners at McNamara Financial Services during the show. So, Pat, please don't say anything complimentary about Alyssa, Kirk, Justin, myself, or the business while you're on the air. Hey, nobody ever said it was easy being a registered investment advisor. And last but not least, any opinions, comments, or advice that Pat may give are not necessarily those of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. So, folks, please give Pat a call at 781-837-4900. And, Pat, thanks for sitting in for me, and have a great show. So sure. Uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, he is taking a well-deserved day off today. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits uh, sitting in. Um, I have a guest. My colleague is Rob Decker from our from Gallagher's retirement area. Good morning, Rob. How are you? Good morning. Uh, it is a very rainy Saturday morning, and I will tell you from driving through the South Shore this morning, there is ponding on the roadways. I've always heard that, I've always ignored it, but there definitely is ponding and water on the roadways this morning, so be careful out there. Um, so we always have a plan. Our plan today, because we have Rob, is to talk about uh, retirement plans, 401k plans, 403b plans, um, employer-sponsored retirement plans. Um, but before we start there, uh, and we do have, uh, this is a tease, Rob, we do have some sort of breaking news about 401k plans, right, that would be interesting for people. Sort of breaking, right, a couple of days ago. Uh, and we also have some breaking news for um, our employers out there on the health side. Um, so traditionally, you, when I am on with Mike or on alone, uh, we talk about employee benefits, medical, dental, life, uh, disability benefits. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about them and maybe more about um, sort of how they interact with the with the retirement plans. But the reason I wanted Rob to come today is we are in, for the most part, um, in the fall, especially as we enter November here, um, we're into open enrollment season. So um, open enrollment may mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, so on the health insurance side or even on the Medicare side, uh, the Medicare open enrollment, which we talked about with Peter Stoner 
uh, a couple of last month, uh, a couple of times, he was on two shows and did a seminar. The Medicare open enrollment for those people who are on uh, Medicare, um, not through their former employer, um, their open enrollment started on October 15th and it's running through December 7th for any changes for 1 1 of 19. So there's a Medicare open enrollment out there. There's also an open enrollment for those people in Massachusetts specifically that do not have health insurance through their employer. And that's through our exchange, which is called uh, the Connector. That open enrollment uh, is underway now. And it actually goes through, believe it or not, January 23rd. Uh, Most other states stop enrollment sometime in December. Our open enrollment, if you're a Massachusetts resident, runs through January 23rd if you don't have health insurance um, through your employer or through an employer. Um, and that coverage is also effective on 1119. So, in addition to being open enrollment season, it is also the end of daylight savings time. So, before you go to bed tonight, set your clocks that don't automatically. Uh, turn back. I was talking with Bob Parkus, Rob, about this. There, are, other than your wristwatch, um, a, you know, a manual one. Very few clocks don't automatically turn back. But if you don't, you'll be, uh, you'll be, uh, you'll show up early for mass uh, tomorrow morning. So make sure you set your clocks back. Check your batteries um, in your smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. So Rob, so we're in open enrollment season uh, and typically again I, I usually have a show in the fall where I talk a lot about what to do you know from your employer what to look at um, but since I haven't had someone on the, from the retirement area on in a while just take a few minutes and talk about so Gallagher as I think most people know from me being here we're an employee benefits broker consultant we help employers um, select plans educate employees deal with compliance issues on the employee benefits side and my specialty is obviously the medical dental life disability and some of the other benefits. But we have a separate division that does um, retirement consulting. Um, just talk, Rob, a little bit about sort of what we do, who our clients are, and what some of the services that we do, just so people, as they listen, get an idea of you know who it is that we work with and what it is that we do. Sure. Um, so at Gallagher on the retirement side, uh, our clients are typically... Uh, small to mid-sized employers with a uh, retirement plan, either a 401k, 403b, a couple other types of plans out there. And we go through the steps where uh, we might be brought in because they want to consider changing their providers, their record keeper, if you will. Um, we're also brought in to take a look at the investments or take a look at the fees and we help them also with their fiduciary responsibilities. So our clients are the employers, and we do some work with the employees as terms of uh, educating them on their options in the retirement plan, how to help them save for retirement. Uh, we partner sometimes with the providers, sometimes we um, observe and give feedback for that. We help set up a communications strategy for the employees and then good old-fashioned plan design, uh, taking a look at how the plan is helping their their employees and maybe fine-tuning it uh, for some additional benefits or a changing of the match, or uh, and we'll get into that today. 
Great, Rob. So just so for the people who are listening, so typically, you know, Mike and his team work with individuals and help them with their retirement planning. We work with the employer, even though we may talk to the employees, we're actually working for the employer. Is that a fair way to exactly for people to understand it? Great. So, um, so again, we always um, talk about the importance of open enrollment when it comes to um, the benefits, you know, the medical, dental, and we'll talk a lot about, I think, the uh, interplay between uh, if the employer offers the health savings account, because that sort of ties in a little bit to retirement. But talk a little bit about um, open enrollment from a retirement standpoint. Um, and even if you want, Rob, take a step back. Uh, it's a rainy day. We can educate people today. They're not, sure. they're going to hang out and listen to the whole show, hopefully. But talk about, I'm always fascinated as to, you know, why, what is a 401k? What is a 403b? Why they're called these weird, you know, alphanumeric names? Um, you know, just the genesis of those plans and why an employer may want to offer one and then maybe go through some um, some tips. And of course, this is a tease. Again, I want people to stay, stay tuned because I think during your talk, you're going to break some news that I think will be welcome news for a lot of people that either participate in the 401k plan now or are thinking about doing it um, because um, there's a benefit coming up. So go ahead, Rob. Sure. Talk about so uh, the, the kind of history on 401k, um, 403b plans, their retirement savings vehicles, and they they essentially the 401k, it actually stands for a very uh, technical 1978 IRS code uh, section, you know, 401 Revenue Act K section or something like that. So, hmm. uh, a gentleman named Ted Benna, he looked at the 1978 code. And he figured out that he could uh, set up this 401k, saving pre-tax money uh, for retirement. And he established it for initially uh, for his own uh, own company, which is the Johnson Companies. So off they were in 1980 to um, establish that. So now, now 403b is more or less the equivalent on the nonprofit. Uh, teachers, healthcare, uh, have a lot of that. We're going to use 401k, but it j- largely means both 401k, 403b. Um, so 401k is largely the replacement now for pension plans. So the traditional work at a company, retire, get a, a monthly benefit. As um, It's still out there, but very few new are coming in. So, Rob, now, so we sorry to interrupt. So we have a lot of um, uh, people in this area that retired maybe from a the state government mm-hmm. or a municipality or even a large uh, old line company, digital GE. They may still have a defined benefit, benefit. plan. Um, so just so people understand, because I think the other terms that we throw around in addition to 401k is people throw around. We do it on the on the benefit side to this defined contribution. Just talk about just give like the high level defined benefit plan versus defined contribution plan, just like, you know, the top two differences between the two, because I think that comes up a lot when we talk about, you know, when people think about, should I do a 401k? Is that my quote unquote retirement plan? Right, right. So um, a defined benefit is commonly called just your pension, if you will. Uh, Defined benefit means that the employer is going to set aside money, uh, take the investment risk, 
and make you know the the promises to the worker that when they retire money will be available so that's the traditional defined benefit and then you know as i mentioned there's been growth in the defined contribution 401k section um and where employers now take that risk and and they shift it to the employees the employee has uh generally at least most of the responsibility of saving for the retirement we'll talk about a little bit about an employer match that might be made available for uh employees but the employee needs to save on their own for that retirement uh, uh, with the understanding that they're going to take the risk, they're going to figure out how much they can save of their own money and uh, go from there. So, you know, generally you might have 40 years of working, uh, maybe different companies, but 40 years of working and then 25 years in retirement. So, <laughs> and, and Rob, so if I, if, I, if I looked at both to summarize, defined benefit pension plan is all employer funded. So in other words... Employees, because they're taking the risk, the employees putting the money, but the benefit to the employee, even though um, they're not, they don't have an uh, an opportunity to put more in. They know if they if they understand the formula, whether it's years, age, mm-hmm. uh, or some other metric, they know that hey, at the if I retire after X number of years at X age, I'm going to get you know thirty five hundred dollars a month. That's the right. defined benefit for the rest of my life, right. or joint with my husband somewhat predictable exactly right and um, that's that was the the attraction for mm-hmm. the employee to say hey and that's i think why uh, on the municipal side which i do a lot of work in there's the argument that the salaries may not be comparable to the mm-hmm. private sector because there's this guarantee of a benefit and also the other thing that that's very attractive um, for most companies that do a defined benefit is the availability of health insurance in retirement. Right. So, so what you're saying is, so defined benefit still around, but not mm, not typical. Or if they're around, they're either frozen or the, the new people that may join the company are in the defined contribution. Sure. So defined contribution 401k similar similar meaning, and we'll talk about the employer side. But that means that now the employee. And this is where I think we come in too in educating them. They have to start uh, saving for retirement, you know, from the day they. they Ideally, <laughs> yeah, you would hope. So okay, so just so people understand, so, um, and and you'll you'll talk about why it makes sense to contribute and how it's uh, advantage for people. But just to get that idea of you know the four hundred one k, some people call it a pension plan. It sort of is, sort of isn't, mm-hmm. but it's really you know. The benefit could be the benefit is all up to the individual, basically. You know how they contribute and how they invest it, because they have the ability to to invest. So mm-hmm. the in addition to the risk, the responsibility is on them. Right. So uh, you know, switching to the four hundred one k with the risk on them, um, many people are wondering, you know, what is what is their eligibility for this four hundred one k? And you know, initially when Ted Bennett started it out in 1980 it was just that one company and then became larger companies and now virtually 90 percent of employees have access to a uh, 401k 403b type savings retirement plan so it's really has grown and uh, generally the larger the company still the more availability it's 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 a little bit of a, a you know, an expensive a benefit to set up for just a handful of employees. But 
there's now options that are similar to the 401k for even those small employers. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that the pension pension is you know on a, on a trail, and then the 401k continues to grow uh, with opportunity. Now, sometimes when we say eligible, people say, "Well, what does that what does that mean?" You're often eligible if you're a full-time employee to save on your own just about it right off uh, right off your hire date. And then um, if you're part-time, you might have that option as well, but it's not necessarily um, uh, just because a part-time might, might be more transient, might move in and out of the job, uh, might not have as much income to save. It's a little bit of a different thing. But the so the, the full-time employees have uh, often can save and they they perhaps should consider saving right off the bat and rob what i found just uh i think people are a lot more familiar on the um the employee benefits the health and welfare benefits um there are some there, the rules are a little bit stricter about a eligible i know we, we all have non-discrimination which we can talk about on the employer side but from an employee uh perspective you know, the open enrollment is the open enrollment. They can only enter the plan either at, right. you know, date of hire or if there's a waiting period or annually at open enrollment. And they can't stop participating, if you will, in the medical plan until exactly. the end of the 12 yeah. months. And it seems like on the 401k side, there's a little bit more flexibility on the employer side to set the rules of engagement. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, uh, it's a very good point that Initially, it might have been, oh, you can enter quarterly, and there might be still some plans out there. It's an administrative um, uh, issue, but you might be able to enter, stop, change your, your contributions. Um, but now it's, it's more frequent. Employers are accepting those uh, enrollments just about at any time. Um, they're also allowing people to increase their contributions, stop their contributions, uh, really with high-tech tools and ease to to do it so it is a lot different than um, you know we talk about it now with open enrollment it really is a good time to look at this benefit too but as Pat was saying that uh, it's not today or never it's really look at it now give it some thought and then uh, you know you can look at this at another time as well but the benefit on the on the to contrast it to the health and welfare side obviously if you miss the open enrollment uh, window if you will you're sort of locked out of entering the employer's um, medical plan so if god forbid you don't don't enroll and you need a medical medical care in the let's use where since we're in november which is typically the open enrollment for calendar year plans meaning you know the employer runs their plans from january to december so if I don't enroll and I need, you know, a surgery in March and I'm not in the plan, I'm sort of out of luck. I have I have to use either after-tax money, flexible spending account money if I enrolled in that, or um, um, or I'm out of luck, or if I if I can't join my spouse's plan. So, um, but the 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 danger in open enrollment from the 401k side is if you don't enroll. Um, there may not be as much of a time that goes by. We don't have another opportunity, but obviously, for, which we'll talk about later, to get the maximum benefit from the plan, you should enter the plan as soon as you're yeah. eligible. Yeah, they, that might be a good uh, time to talk also about auto-enrollment, which yep. is in uh, the plan. So uh, the power of the inertia, if you will. So many, many times um, 
employees would fail to sign up. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't view it like they do with their medical, like Pat was talking about. And they would uh, fail to save. And they would wake up one day and they would, they would be worried uh, <laughs> that they missed out on some savings, potential match. And uh, so uh, I think it was 2004. I'll check that date. But they, they, um, they allowed uh, the IRS and, and the regulations allowed um, employers to do this auto enrollment and essentially auto enrollment was uh, that you could take from someone's um, paycheck a um, percentage of their pay that you would put it they would put into the 401k for that person uh, and the pay and the percentage might be three percent so a number of employers felt this would be helpful to the employee to automatically do this and it wasn't um, there was an opt-out, and there still is an opt-out ability. Uh, but what we found, and what everyone has found, is that when they do this auto-enrollment, an overwhelming number of people allow it, if you will, to happen. It's for their own good, quite frankly, but they they are okay with uh, a uh, 3% uh, taken out of their check. So... And, and once they see it, Rob, they get used to it, and it's sort yeah. of they don't they don't change. There's the inertia to go fill out the form and withdraw, or not withdraw to stop the contribution. Right. So, right. Um, and there's probably another reason why we'll get to the employer would want to enroll everyone too, um, in addition to looking out for the employee, mm. but to get more um, participation. But yeah, there was a, interestingly enough. Um, so in the uh, Affordable Care Act, um, which was 2010, we've almost we're going coming up on nine years of mm. the Affordable Care Act. There was an automatic enrollment provision in the Affordable Care Act that said if you had over 250 employees, you would have to automatically enroll your uh, employees in the um, health insurance mm. plan, which obviously for some, uh, depending on what the costs are, is very significant. So that never um, never got implemented and it was actually repealed a number of years later. But again, this is the both the government and the employer trying to look out for the employee who doesn't read the open enrollment materials as they you know, did have access to do it. So it is it is from from our perspective in advising employers it is a good thing because they could if they don't want it or if they have savings somewhere else or if they're independently wealthy and don't need it mm. um, they can always opt out but um, tr the idea was to try and look out for the employee which again carried over into the health and welfare side but it didn't um, didn't take off mm. so should we get into the employer match now? or Yeah, so uh, just talk a little bit about um, sort of, I guess, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to even before we even get into both sides, just at a high level, and then we get into the details. So why would an employer, because I think you've got some stats on some other size employers, why would an employer want to offer this plan to the employee? Like what's the benefit to the employer to do this? Yeah, the employer, by offering this benefit, um, they they get a deduction for their contribution and the employee's uh, contribution. So they they save a little bit of money, but they're they're often driven, even in the nonprofit world, 
to really help the participants save so that if they save for retirement, there's there's a uh, ability for the employee to retire on their own terms. So person doesn't just work because they have to. They may work because they want to. Um, and that, you know, it can uh, impact by having people with um, out the ability to retire. It shows up in other costs. So no, and that's that's yeah. where Rob, this the, our worlds collide. That we have a lot of employers today um, with employees working simply because they can't retire. So those employees are on the medical plans and the other benefits, and they're increasing the cost for all their employees. So retirement readiness and a bunch of other you know words that um, you know our industry uses. That's a big one. That is a, a definite reason why. Um, an employer would want to do it. So, hey, we're not offering this defined benefit pension plan where you're going to retire at 65. And, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. coupled with, it used to be coupled with Social Security, but as we know, you know, our generation and f- future generations, it's not 65, it's 67 or um, or, or future dates. So um, so that's where another wor- place where our world combines. Um, uh, collide. Another reason that, you know, when we do like our employer surveys or people worry about, especially in this economy, I think, you know, whatever the stats are, I think if you don't offer a 401k, mm. you know, the employees, um, it's hard to maybe recruit, retain because they're looking for a pre-tax savings vehicle. Mm. You know, not that that, not that someone's not going to work at a certain company because of benefits or they don't have it, but it, it helps, you know, attract them, especially if there's a match, which we'll talk about probably in the next segment, but, um, if there's a match, but also, um, you know, the recruitment retention piece, offering a good Absolutely. benefits package. Yeah. Um, any, any other, um, uh, reasons why an employer may want to do it? Obviously the other thing that we see in smaller employers is, uh, in order for the employ the owners of the business or the 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 management of the business to to have a plan, they have to offer it to everyone. So that's another reason why some smaller employers offer it is they want to be able to save and they need to, you know, we can talk about discrimination testing too, but they want to save. Right. Uh, how about from the employee side? Before we get into sort of the match and the amounts, just in general, why would an employee want um, want a four hundred one k or want an employer with a four hundred one k? Well, on their own money, um, typical is the pre-tax uh, deferral. So if someone, using a hypothetical example, um, it's not subject to federal and state income tax, so that if someone, um, for example, contributed $50 per paycheck, they may only see a reduction for about $40. Off the off their next paycheck, and that's because that ten dollars difference would have gone in form of, of income taxes. So they're lowering their income and and contributing into the plan on a pre-tax basis. Now, when they this all earns in their account tax deferred, and then when they retire or take the money out, that's when it's subject to income tax. And, at that rate. Right. And we can talk about there's many different ways to take it out in different times and different tax mm-hmm. implications of that. Um, so what we'll do, Rob, is we'll talk about, um, let's talk about the match and employers making, employees making contributions. And I promise in this next sec- segment, Rob will reveal 
is breaking news that will be hap- that will be good news for those people who want to max out their contribution. Um, we'll do that after the break. And since we already did the, I know the clock is fast, Tim, but we set the clock back in here already. So I think it's about 8.30. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Mike McNamara with McNamara Financial Services in Marshfield. Folks want an advisor they can trust and who cares about them. Finding that person takes some work. Where do you start? Well, I think you should listen to Alyssa, Kirk, and me every Saturday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. here on WATD. It's an easy way to get to know us. One of us could be that advisor you're looking for. We're local and we're a family business. 781-834-2010 or McNamaraFinancial.com. 95.9 FM WATD. Streaming on every device at 95.9WATD.com and through the TuneIn.com app, the South Shores radio station, 95.9 WATD. This is Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial. What's the best investment strategy for you? Well, depends on your age, risk tolerance, and a number of other things. Give me a call and let's talk about your situation. 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. We're back. This is 95.9 WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and you are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Thank you, Mrs. McNamara. Hope Mike is enjoying his day off. This is Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits, along with my guest, Rob Decker, my colleague, also from Gallagher Benefits on the retirement side. We're talking employee benefit retirement plans uh, this morning. Uh, we're reminding everyone, obviously, too, to set their clocks back before they go to sleep tonight. And I promise you, it will be lighter out uh, when you get up in the morning. It's very dark this morning and very rainy, uh, Rob. Um, so, and also, this is a um, a call-in show. Uh, I know it's difficult sometimes when we talk about retirement because of the specificity. But if you have questions about um, in general, um, 401ks or employer-based um, retirement plans or health and welfare plans while I'm here. Um, but um, I want to take advantage of my, of my guest. So, uh, Rob, we started talking about uh, open enrollment, again, because we're in this open enrollment season, even though, as you mentioned, some employers sort of have ongoing enrollment uh, mm-hmm. every month or quarter or um, they can do it whenever but it's a good time i think this is a great time of year people start looking towards um you know one one and new year's resolutions and taking a look at you know hey can i retire in the next you know 5 10 20 years they start uh thinking about their future uh, usually around uh, the holiday time when they take time off so uh, we started talking a little bit about why an employer should offer why an employee should participate and let's sort of continue down the theme of um, how the employee and the employer, uh, I guess, participate or mutually benefit from offering these um, retirement plans. Sure. So we were talking a little bit before the break about um, contributing as an employee, and we're talking about on a pre-tax basis. So I I use the, the brief example, if you decide to contribute $50 per pay period, um, that really might only cost you 40 because uh, the deferral, 
the contribution is not subject to federal and state income tax. So your paycheck, and there are a lot of tools that we'll get into um, that your provider has that can help you determine how much uh, a contribution would cost you. But we want to change a little bit about, so you're contributing and you're fortunate enough to have an employer match. So a match is where the employer might kick in for every dollar that you contribute or in a percentage. So most common is they might say, for every dollar you put in, we'll put 50 50 cents in to your account. And they might do that on the first 6% of your income deferrals. Uh, Hypothetically, $10,000, if you defer 6%, that would be $600. If you had a match of 50 cents or 50% on that, you'd get another $300. So you get a 50% return on that. Now, some matches are higher, some matches are lower, and some some um, companies are not able to put a match. There might also be profit sharing, but mm-hmm. profit sharing is the ability to put a contribution in for you, but it's not based on necessarily how much you contribute. So we'll stay a little bit away from that because uh, today we want to talk about open enrollment and uh, meet the match is where we want to go with this. <laughs> so let's let's say you're familiar with your plan, you're fortunate to have a match, and the company says for every every you know for every contribution you put in, we'll match it. They may do that each pay period. They may do it like annually um, on that on that contribution. If they do it annually, it's often means you know, the whole year goes through, you contribute during the year, and then sometime maybe January, they come in with the contribution as promised. Um, The catch there is you got to make sure you're there on December 31st (laughs) to get that annual contribution. Um, So that's, that's uh, one way of doing it. And you can, you can imagine that employers do that. Uh, It does save a lot of money. They don't have to, they don't have to push the money through each pay period. Um, there's other reasons, retention, for sure. There's, uh, you know, kind of uh, the giving you the ability to save, but at the same time, only only putting it in once a year, um, maybe allows a little bit more focus on on cash flow for the employers, f- for sure. And and also, Rob, like you said, on the retention piece, that's uh, from an administrative perspective too. They don't have to. They don't, from her, what you mean by that is they someone who left during the calendar year, for example, they wouldn't have to make a contribution right. for that person, even though they may still have a balance. They may have contributed nine months of yeah. the year. Their, their their flexibility allows them only to pay people who are employees on twelve thirty one. Right. So it it encourages, I guess, people who are thinking about leaving to at least yeah. hang around until twelve thirty one. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting design though because you know. It, it's it's more powerful for the employee to have it on a pay period, right? You see it, um, you can plan on it. You get dollar cost averaging if the market goes up, and you know, it's it's a it's nice to have it on a pay period for sure, mm-hmm. um, but certainly not required. And um, everybody makes their decisions and based on costs and benefits. So let's talk about meeting the match, though, right? When you do. We talked in the last segment about auto enrollment, where an employer might, on your behalf, take 3% out. They might take higher than that. But 
but often it was established as a 3% years ago, and not all employers have raised it. If you, if you figure that they moved it to 10% of your salary, well, that might be in your best interest for the long run, but not everybody can, can afford that jump, right? So a lot of low, if you will, auto enrollment at 3%. And we're finding that auto enrollment is becoming more and more uh, prevalent nowadays. But here's what you need to pay attention to. If you're auto enrolled at 3%, you might not get the full employer match. This is a big deal. Um, especially if the match is, you know, it, it increases or they change it. Um, we often go back with the employers and try to help them communicate uh, with the record keeper to meet that match, to make sure you're saving enough to get that free money. So it is, it is really free money. It's, um, uh, you know, goes into your account. And so long as you meet certain requirements, uh, and that's called vesting, that your, that money is yours to take. So uh, really can not only give you a nice return on your money, and uh, but it can compound, and we'll get into that a little bit. But let's take a little pause here for vesting, what vesting means. So a typical employer plan might say, we're going we're gonna to give you this money, but if you leave before... A period of time, some of it or all of it might return as a forfeiture back to the employer. So they'll give you a hundred dollars. That's a match. If you're there one year, you have maybe twenty-five percent vested on that. In other words, you would keep twenty-five, but you would give back seventy-five. This is only the employer contribution. You're always invested in. Right. Uh, always vested, excuse me, in your own money. The only way you can lose money of your own in the 401k is through investment return being negative. Right, okay. exactly. So this is your money. And, you know, so that if there's a vesting schedule, that will, it, it's typically 25, 50, 75%, 100% over time. And that's a retention thing for sure. Um, they, the employer would use that money that you forfeited by leaving early and they would use it to fund future contributions or expenses uh, on the plan. So, And Rob, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Is there a maximum on how long um, they can make you wait yeah. to be vested? or how Yeah, that they, okay. I, I believe we're now looking at a six-year. The most common is probably five. Um, it used to be even longer. And uh, you know, this is just for the retirement plans. There's other things out there that are not retirement plans. But they have, uh, they can have a longer. Uh, they're called non-qualified, but that's another topic for another time. So. Right, and well, yeah, that's a good point, Rob. So the four hundred one k is a qualified retirement plan, yeah. meaning it has to meet all the IRS rules. Right. And can we, can they still do that thing where, like, after three years, you get it all? Like, it's not graded. Yeah, yeah. That's a so it's <laughs> the first example I used was graded, graded vesting the twenty five, fifty, seventy five, one hundred. And it can be some combination of that. It could be zero to 50. So first two years, you're 0% vested. Uh, or it could be another way, which is a cliff vesting. Um, and that might be, hey, after three years, you're fully vested on that. And sometimes where we help our, our clients, the employers in designing this plan, is you really look at the turnover, ideally. You don't just arbitrarily set it up, but you, you look at turnover, where the turnover, where you're going to attract the most people, 
where you're going to retain, but you also want to be competitive. So you want to have as good often as, uh, as a competing firm. If they're fully, fully vested, that might hinder your ability that your employees will come in and say, oh, well, XYZ employer has it fully vested. And most people are, are pretty good with uh, this concept of this vesting schedule. Most, most, we're finding that most employees are okay with that. Conversely, if you're lucky to be in a plan that has fully vested immediately, and you do see that maybe more in the nonprofit, I would have to say, but if you're fully vested immediately, <clears throat> meaning that if you walk out the door as soon as that first dollar of employer contribution, you would get it all, um, we, we actually find in a funny way that, that employees don't always get what that means. They don't, they don't always recognize, wow, that's really good. That's yeah. a really good uh, benefit. Um, so each employer needs to go through that with uh, the requirements, but uh, in terming their vesting schedule. And, and Rob, uh, part of our service, so when you said, you know, when we look, we work with employers, we look at turnover. We also obviously look at salaries and cost and we try and figure out hey you know because you don't want to have a vesting uh, or a match or a vesting schedule that's overly uh, cost prohibitive but so one of our what i think we do a good job at both on the health and welfare and on the retirement side is when we meet with employees that's why they should go to these meetings so mm -hmm. if we have you know when we do this a lot especially this time of year you guys may do it throughout the year but when we meet with employees or we have uh, the employer says, hey, our benefits uh, consultant uh, Gallagher is going to be here either, you know, during 12 to 1, the lunchtime hour, or having one-on-one -on -one sessions to sign up for, it's really important that people who don't understand do that because this is difficult even for people, for employers to understand. And as you said, just knowing how it works you may be able not take advantage in a bad way, but you may be able to maximize, I mm. guess is a better word, maximize um, what you can do for your retirement without necessarily costing you. So I think the vesting is important, how it works, uh, so people understand, you know, the different um, the different ways why an employer can do it, I think is, is helpful, um, but just so they know that, oh, if this money is showing up, and, you know, it's increasing as the market goes up, it's increasing their return. They have to realize that when they look at their statement, there's two lines, right? Sure. <laughs> the yeah. vested balance and the non-vested balance. That's so exactly that's what important. that means. Yes. So, you know, open enrollment is a great time to look at this. Um, many, many employers will give all of the benefits and they might indicate what percentage you're contributing on a statement of some kind, or you can look at it on often online and find out. But that's a good time to take a look at that and perhaps you can increase it. So we want you to get to the match. Make sure you're saving uh, wherever you can. We, we get it when not everybody can do it, but we often have these meetings on the retirement side to educate people and we do pair them uh, with open enrollment season. So it's a busy time, but um, if you get it, if you have an employer that makes that available, uh, you owe it to yourself to, to sit on it. It's, it's a wonderful benefit, and there is still some understanding. Most people now understand what a 401k and a 403b is, right. but not everybody is uh, on board and, and uh, understanding it perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, so um, after you finish the match, talk about sort of, uh, Rob, if you could, 
um, the employees. You mentioned sort of there are limits about vesting, there are limits on the match in terms of years. Um, how about you know what the employee can um, contribute? All right, so you're ready for the teaser then? I'm ready for the breaking news. At okay, seven, breaking news. At 8.45. At 8.45. Mm-hmm. So uh, just the other day, it's typically in October, but just, um, just the other day, it might have been yesterday, the day before, <coughs> Breaking news where the limits on how much an employee can save uh, in their retirement plan, in their 401k, it has gone up. It's gone up from 18500 to 19000 mm-hmm. And if you're 50, uh, that still stays at 6000 So if you're age 50, you have the ability to do a catch-up contribution um, in most plans. It doesn't have to be in a plan. And uh, you, you could save a little bit more. You could save $25,000 uh, in 2019. That's a lot of money. Not everybody in the audience is, is able to do that. We get that. But if, you're, if you may have started late and uh, maybe your kids are now out of college or maybe you, maybe you, you have a better position and you, you can handle it on your budget, then by all means you may want to consider you know, contributing uh, up to those limits. And there are a lot of people that obviously do uh, do do that. And, and Rob, you mentioned sort of, I always find this um, maybe not ironic, but just w- different. Um, so you mentioned the catch-up contribution for those that are uh, 50 or older. And that's, um, we always get this question too. Sometimes I get it. I don't know why they ask me, but basically you could turn 50 on December 31st of 2019 yeah. and still contribute the whole year exactly. as if you were... 50. Yeah, anybody anybody who turns 50 in the year or earlier obviously right. can can save. So, but they can't. The only thing they can't do is they can't uh, catch up to catch up. Uh, right. Meaning, if you didn't put the six grand in in 2018, you can't do 12 in. Yeah, that that <laughs> actually 19. used to be. Uh, it's in some older 403b right. plans <laughs> where they had the same name catch up, where people could plow a lot of money in. Uh, I wish they didn't use that same name because there was a lot of confusion on <laughs> is this an age 50 or a three-year catch-up. So, right. yes, you, you can only do it now. You can't go backwards and say, oh, I could have put in more money. And uh, the other thing I find interesting, which we'll get to maybe in the hopefully in the last segment because I want to talk a little bit about HSAs too, um, the, the, the catch-up contribution, if you will, for HSAs is age 55 mm-hmm. as opposed to 50. I don't know why that yeah. is. Maybe because they didn't start until late. I don't know. But there's just a weird, you know, you're 50 for savings, but 55 for for medical. Mm. Um, So a couple of questions I have on the limits. So um, these are the max. Now, can an employer, um, because the employer could be matching based on a percent, obviously their, their match automatically goes up, but they could have provisions to to you know change that but does an employee can an employer limit it to anything less than that or do they have to allow an employee to um i don't i'm not sure if they have to allow catch up but they they uh, you could be limited on how much you save and that's that discrimination testing right so um in a sense if if the highly compensated people as defined by a, a salary threshold uh we don't want these plans just for the rich if you will or the government doesn't <laughs> and if the highly compensated people are contributing, say, 7% of their salary, and the non-highly, everyone else, um, are only contributing 3%, 
that's called a discrimination um, a failure, if you will. It's there. There are restrictions and rules on what highly compensated can contribute in comparison to the non-highly compensated. It's a little bit more detailed than that, but right. I'm just trying to give a flavor. You know, that's helpful, Rob. I mean, not you said it, but I think the the idea sometimes the 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 impact of the discrimination testing is usually felt by the highly comped anyway in terms mm-hmm. of cutback or changes. But the idea is, um, and I think that's why auto enrollment came about too, was to help pass the, they didn't want the employer, as you mentioned, just to set it up so that the highly comped can save, you know, if they're mm-hmm. over 50, you know, at this time, 25000 a year. Um, so, um, so from a, a limit, perspective and a match perspective um what do when we talk to employees let's say i'm a i'm just starting out uh and i'm an employee i have eligibility but i'm i'm at you know uh, i make fifty thousand dollars a year i obviously can't save half of that um or i they wouldn't be able to nineteen thousand almost half of it um do we uh when we talk about you know the they should understand the plan because if there's quote unquote free money out there and they can afford it mm. they at least should do um i guess we talk about the minimum to get the match or mm. be aware of that is that sort of what we yeah i i'd like to see that um and that's a big part of when you go out and meet with employees whether it's during the open enrollment or any time thereafter is that we want them to understand what it is uh how the match is working and um, it's, it's, you know, invited to all. And then there <laughs> might be uh, another segment of, you know, if you're over age 50 and, um, a lot of people in the forties, fifties, they, they need some balancing. They need to balance that saving for their children's college education. They need to save for their own retirement. They need to save for potential medical costs. Um, there's so many conflicts there that it's not, always just hey just save to the match you have to obviously look at your own situation but we really want to encourage people to try to get there and typically that's through um, an increase an annual increase to get there that's uh, I often tell people just you know why don't you try out 1% as Pat you said earlier mm. nowadays it's not just once a year you can make these changes so you know, if you if you are fortunate enough to get a raise, or you maybe don't have a car expense anymore, a car payment, um, you you might be able to say, look, let me go online, look at it, and increase my contributions. I'm at three now. Let me go to four percent, and then you feel that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we don't want anyone to certainly contribute more than they can, and then have a financial situation where they need to try to get access to funds. Uh, there are abilities. Uh, for for this conversation today, there are things called the hardship withdrawals. Sometimes there's a loan provision. Uh, that that is more information available on on the uh, plan. There are abilities to get some of that money out if you need it in emergency. It has to be a. It's not. Unfortunately, it's not that I need to buy a boat. So uh, hmm. we we can get into that a little bit. But uh, Mike Mike know, may disagree with you yeah. about the buying of the boat. Well, it's okay to buy the boat, but. I, <laughs> I don't know if a hardship withdrawal would qualify to buy that boat. So, <laughs> but right. So, and we can talk a little bit about. I think we want to talk um, uh, again, probably in the next segment, just about um, the how to get the money out. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, maybe we've we've talked a little bit about um, the match and pre-tax um, 
benefit. And there's something, I guess, relatively new about sort of for maybe the more, um, I don't want to say sophisticated, but maybe people who want to save um, after tax with yeah. like a Roth uh, the people have heard the term Roth uh, 401k. Just in general, what does that mean? And we can do specifics uh, maybe after. But talk about sure. a little bit about if people have... The, now, again, this is something that an employer does not have to offer. But right. if they have it there, they should at least know what it is. Yeah, you'd be, be surprised, though. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a top conversation we're having with employers. Whenever they look at redesigning their plan, uh, we do suggest that they consider adding the Roth 401k. So... Real brief, a Roth 401k uh, is an after-tax contribution, but it, it differs a little bit to what most people are familiar with is a Roth IRA. So a Roth 401k, um, through your paycheck, through payroll deductions, you, have, you contribute on an after-tax basis. Uh, let's go with the $50. And unlike a, um, a regular 401k that we were talking about earlier, $50 comes out of your check, $50 is $50. So there's no taxes, mm -hmm. right? But the, the power in a Roth 401k is that the money, the contributions and earnings uh, all go tax-free. And then when you take it out, meeting the conditions for taking it out, let's just say retirement. So over time, your contributions is one piece, but the earnings on that you hoped is gonna be really powerful. <laughs> And all of that money would be tax-free. So it's a, it's a different. Now, we're not going to give tax advice. Uh, <laughs> we invite you to meet with your professional on that. But some people are, they're looking at this and saying, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, split it. Maybe I'll put some in my regular 401k, get the tax deduction now. And maybe I'll also contribute some of my, my Roth. So we're seeing that a lot more. Hmm. Uh, at a recent meeting we had with a client, they had about 10% of their employees doing Roth. Now, I'm not saying all, all of their money is going into Roth, but they had 10% of their, their people doing Roth. Uh, really powerful for the young, but there are advantages for a number of people. And, you know, the hope there is, is that your income taxes might be lower at retirement than they currently are. So, so that's the bet, sort of, that tax rates will be lower yeah. when you need the money as opposed to now. Yeah, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think, Pat, a lot of people are looking at it like, why don't I hedge my bet and split it, right? right. So it was of some way. Pay taxes on some. Pay yeah. on some, and then uh, it does cost you. Just keep that in mind. The $50 is $50, not 40 Right. So um, the taxes get, uh, in your paycheck, the taxes get calculated on that yeah. money. And then out, then below the line on the on your pay stub, yeah. it's a deduction after the taxes have been calculated on your full salary, yep. basically. And Rob, so a couple of questions I have um, on the Roth. So how do the limits and matches work? Is it a separate limit? Is it a combined limit? Does the employer match? Can they do separate? Yeah. How does all that interplay? Yeah, so the combined limits on what you contribute is still, it's still the same. You could do 19,000, for example, of all 401k. You could do 19,000 or Roth. You could do a combination of it. Um, you, you need to be, uh, what we're seeing here also is, is that there might be some payroll uh, limitations be, to be wow. surprised. Where recently we had a client that said, all right, we can handle having that deduction code on payroll, but if we're going to give a matching contribution, we're going to be troubled 
with the availability on our payroll to match mm. both. So they're they're actually going to talk to employees and say, look, you can do one or the other. other. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In that world. So, um, you know, we'll see. But uh, that's that was a rarity. Uh, and the, again, the limits are combined up to uh, the 19,000 or, you know, if you're over age 50. 25. And the other question that sometimes we get, because this is in our area of FSA and HSA, how about um, if you've got, uh, I guess, two quick situations. Let's say one person has two jobs. Uh, and, and for some reason, because of generous employers, they're both eligible for, they're, he's eligible for the 401k in both employers. Does he get two two limits? No, it's just <laughs> one. In fact, um, you know, that that's uh, that's really up to the the employee a lot of times because the out. new employer won't know what you contributed. So sometimes you can ask, you can figure that out, but uh, uh, it will show up on your tax return, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, and how about uh, on the, um, how about, I guess, um, two situations, but probably same answer. Let's say you're a husband, wife, or, or just you have a spouse. Uh, and either they work for the same company or they work in two different full-time jobs where they're eligible for a 401k. Can each individual have the same uh, yes. a limit? Yep. Yes. Uh, it's individual limits. It's not limited by your income um, uh, unless, again, we're talking about that discrimination testing that we uh, mentioned earlier, non-discrimination testing. But yes, uh, generally, whether you work at the same employer or different employers, uh, one might be a, a healthcare 403b, um, and that has the same limit, and then someone might be in a 401k. So uh, it's a it's an individual limit, not subject to what the other spouse is doing. Got it. Okay, so that sometimes is a little different answer on the on the benefits side. All right. So we talked a lot about getting money in and being eligible. So after the break, I want to talk about how do I get my money out, Rob? That's my okay. important question of the day. How do I get my money out? What are the issues? Uh, with that, and we'll do that after the break. The South Shore's breaking news, weather, and traffic station. WATD-FM Marshfield. WMEX Boston. And 95.9 WATD.com. Before we get into the break, uh, an announcement today for the football game between South Shore, Votek, and Hull. That will be played at Norwell High School's field at 11 a.m. So don't go to... Uh, don't go to the Votech. Go to Norwell, 18 South Street in Norwell, 02061. Again, that will be at 11 o'clock. South Shore Votech versus Hull is going to be at Norwell's Field today, 18 South Street in Norwell. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. When I hosted the most recent Smart With Money Fair for the Marshfield High School seniors, we went through an exercise comparing investing an amount of money over 40 years versus investing that same total amount of money over 20 years. The end result for the person who saved longer was more than twice the amount of the other person's. This is a hypothetical exercise, of course, but the point remains, save early and save often. If I can help you save early and often, visit our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. You own a business, or you're running a nonprofit or a municipality, and you just might be somewhat overwhelmed with all the changes in state health care law, federal mandates, rules governing retirement, employee benefits. For instance, do your employees understand the value and costs of their current benefits? Oh, and by the way, what about tomorrow's changes in state and federal policy? Keeping up is a full-time job. You have better things to do. 
Gallagher Benefits of Boston and Quincy are benefits experts. To be somewhat formal, Gallagher Benefits offers strategic consulting that assists employers in providing wellness and health promotion programs and offers advisory services to provide insight, understanding, and answers. Let Gallagher handle the headaches. Visit the web at AJG.com. Leave the aspirin on the shelf. AJG.com. This is Kirk Reed from McNamara Financial. I often get asked, when should I start collecting Social Security? It's not always a quick question to answer, but an important one. If you'd like to have a conversation about your situation, give me a call at 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. We're back. This is 95.9 WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and you are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. And thank you, Mrs. McNamara. Thank you. We are back. Um, This is uh, Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits sitting in for Mike McNamara today. He's got a well-deserved day off. My guest is my colleague Rob Decker from Gallagher's Retirement Area. And we are talking about um, all things retirement plans, and we're talking about the weather, daylight savings time, changes in football games. So you have to go to Norwell now, Tim, to watch the, is it the Marshfield Hull game? No, South Shore Votech and Hull. South Shore Votech and Hull is now at Norwell Field. Correct. I guarantee you that's due to the weather. I, yep, <laughs> I would agree. Yes. Thanks uh, to John Creed for calling that in. Yes, thank you. Because they, uh, as a graduate of Hull High, as Mike was, ah. we know that Hull Field is probably underwater. A little wet and windy. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and also be careful out there if you go out later driving. There are actual ponds on the road. No ducks. No ducks in those ponds on the road, no. No, but no. plenty of ponding on the roadways. And also, a um, little bit of a public service to remember, um, it's daylight savings time is ending this evening. So before you go to bed, change the clocks that don't change. Don't make the mistake of changing the clock that automatically changes because then you you will be late for mass tomorrow <laughs> instead of early. Um, so daylight savings time ends. We always tell people check your batteries in your smoke and carbon um, monoxide. monoxide detectors as well. And um, so hopefully everyone does that this evening. So in addition to this time of year, daylight savings time, football uh, football season, and apparently monsoon season, um, this is open enrollment time. So as I started the show, when we talked about open enrollment, there's a uh, employee benefits open enrollment. So we've got Medicare open enrollment, which is happening through December 7th for those who are on Medicare, not through their former employer. We've got, um, for those that don't have access to employer-sponsored care, we've got this uh, connector, which is our, our public exchange where you get, uh, quote-unquote, Obamacare, if you will, um, if you don't have coverage. And that actually runs through January 23rd for a uh, 1-1-2019 effective date for both the Medicare and the connector. And then we talked about what Rob and I deal with, which is the employer uh, sponsored plans. So I deal with the, the health and welfare, the medical, dental, life, disability, and typically our larger employers that run their plans on a calendar year have their open enrollment in November. So we do a lot of meetings, a lot of communication around benefits, and that's what we've been doing this morning. We've been talking a lot about 401, primarily 401k plans, the different types, how to get money in, 
benefits to an employee, benefits to an employer, um, how sort of at a high level, how they work from a tax basis, what the advantages and disadvantages are. So now, Rob, we've we've educated our employees. They've been contributing for years to their 401k, and they realize that, hey, I may need some cash. <laughs> oh, wow. I need... I need uh, some money um, and, you know, give some uh, uh, examples of, you know, uh, valid reasons, not valid reasons, but how do, because because of this, and the reason is, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, the rationale is if anything on a pre-tax basis is regulated, in other words, and the post-tax too, especially on the Roth, but typically because you're not paying taxes, there are some regulations around the use of that money because the government always wants to get its get its tax and if they're letting you you know do something without paying the tax they want to have some regulations around um, the use or withdrawal of that money so so Rob talk a little bit about you know the, the the many ways or the few ways perhaps that people can get money out of and this is the 401k not a pension plan the 401k plan mm-hmm. how do those work what are the issues people need to consider uh, uh, sure well, hopefully before the break, everybody went online and uh, upped their contributions so that they made the match. <laughs> so let's say you did that, and uh, six, months, six months from now, you have uh, an unexpected expense. Your plan may allow, your 401k plan may allow, they don't have to, uh, what is called a hardship distribution. So this is where you would go in, and there are certain medical expenses you could do this for, purchase of a main home, tuition, education expenses, payments to prevent eviction or foreclosure of your home, uh, burial or funeral expenses, and then uh, certain expenses for the repair damage to your main home. So these are all uh, regulated, and you know, I, again, I mentioned that it's uh, probably not an emergency to buy a boat, and uh, your plan may not have this provision. A lot of employers do. They have it, and we'll talk a little bit about a loan provision. So first up is hardship withdrawal. You go in, it's an emergency, you need some money, and it's your money, why shouldn't you be able to take it? <laughs> so you go in and you, you might file a, a form or you might you go through the process of doing this. But what does this really mean? So you, if you go in and take a hardship withdrawal, you take money out of the plan, and as Pat said, that's like income. So that was, you probably took it as pre-tax, you did it as pre-tax, now you're taking it out as income. Uh, we get it, it's an emergency, but we wanna be clear. So <laughs> you, you now take a $10,000 emergency withdrawal out of your plan, uh, that money is no longer going to be compounding with hopefully an up market over a lifetime in retire, you know, into retirement, but let's just take the money as the money, right? So you ask for 10,000 and uh, lo and behold, you get a check for 8,000. You qualify, you do all this, what happened? Well, there's a mandatory withholding, not a tax, but a mandatory withholding of 20%. So you just had gave 2,000, it will be sent on your behalf to the good old IRS. So now you have 8,000 and you take care of your emergency, um, and the rules may change this, but in the past, it was typical that you would forfeit uh, a participation in the plan to get the match for six months. 
Um, that might be changing. There might be some uh, removal of that, which would be nice uh, for those people that have a hardship because you're kind of hit twice. But in addition to that withholding, your money is going to be subject to a 10% penalty tax if you're under 59 and a half. Again, you took out 10, you get a check for eight, you think you're all good, you can file your, you get a nice little, I think it's a 1099 uh, reporting this distribution, and now you have to pay tax, a 10% if you're under 59 and a half. 10% is on the 10,000. There's another thousand. So you just lost potentially 30%. It could be even more based on your income taxes, but it's really powerful not to take this, right? You want to avoid this. Well, there's other ways, um, and this is, might be considered the last resort, the hardship withdrawal. There's another way, and that's a loan. A loan may be available on your plan. Your plan may allow one loan, may allow two loans, and now nowadays, they're generally, you just basically apply, you borrow your money. Um, there's a fee to take that loan. There might be an ongoing yearly maintenance fee, but you'll be paying back that money to yourself, to your own account, but you pay it back with after-tax money. So like we talked earlier, this is not $50 becomes 40 on your paycheck. This is $50 is $50. So you have to agree to pay it back. Here's the rub. There's a couple of things going on here. Yes, it's easy money. It's probably a decent interest rate that you couldn't necessarily get. But the rub is that you are, this money as you pay it back, you're going to miss out some market potential. You're going to pay this money back. And when you take it at retirement, it's now going to be taxed again in a way because you are paying it back with after tax. So it's so this pre-tax money that you put in is now turned into after-tax, but guess what? When you take it out, it's still pre-tax. There's no separation. I'd love to be doing the accounting on that because if I took a loan, I'd say, no, 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 you already took the money off this. But that's one, one thing you got to consider. Another thing you have to consider is, is that um, if you decide to leave, most employers are not going to allow you to pay that back after you leave. So here you are, you took a, say, a $10,000 loan. You're going on your way. You decide to leave your organization. You forget that you have still a $7,000 loan. They give you a grace period to pay it in full. If you can't pay it in full, you're going to be issued the equivalent of that hardship withdrawal for the remaining outstanding balance. So now you just took a withdrawal, even though you thought you had a loan. So it's something to think about. Um, you know, you, you might be able to to have a few days, to, you know, 30, 60, 90 days to pay off that loan. It's really not, um, generally, employers don't really want to uh, allow you to continue to pay that. Yes, there are some employer plans out there that gives you that break. But those are the couple things you have to consider. Again, let me just talk about it. A loan might be better than a hardship withdrawal, but a loan does have its uh, some thoughts there. A loan um, takes you out of the market. Uh, for potential gains. It's double taxation on that loan. And if you decide to leave or someone decides to have you leave, you have to pay back that loan. So that's that's a, that might be a burden at the wrong time right there. So, and, and Rob, just a question. Um, I don't know if this is the case. I haven't looked at a 401k loan in a while, but are there some provisions around um, 
participation while you have a withdrawal or a loan? Like, can an employer say you can't participate in the, like you can't make uh, contributions while you're repaying or is that... Is that something that used to happen that doesn't happen anymore? Yeah, the the loan repayment just... um, I'm not aware of any plans that stop you from contributing, but really what happens is that the employee stops themselves when they take a loan. Because now they have to pay, you know, uh, their loan back, and they also, you know... So we really try to help people and say, look, it's one thing to have a need and take a loan, but do your very, very best, and don't miss out, and don't take your money off, um, you know, off the table. To try to stay the course, and least, you know, if you're if you have to reduce your contribution, again, we still want you to meet that match if if at all possible. So if you're above the match, uh, maybe you maybe you try to just uh, reduce your savings before taking that loan and seeing if you could do that. So yep. stay the course if you can. And, Rob, obviously, I'm going to guess that either the plan or the IRS has limits on both the withdrawal and the loan in terms of how much someone can take. Yeah, the, the hardship withdrawal, again, it doesn't have to be a provision, uh, nor the, neither does the loan have to be a provision. The hardship withdrawal um, is typically under the circumstances that you have to follow, uh, those that I mentioned earlier. They and the employer may say, well, the minimum hardship is a thousand. Um, it's a little bit, you know, it's a it's a resource uh, to have someone having a hardship withdrawal. Mm-hmm. It costs everybody some time, um, and they don't want people necessarily to to just hit their retirement account. So we see typically that it's a thousand dollars, maybe. Um, different plans have different rules. On the loan side, those are regulated. Uh, it's actually you can only borrow up to fifty thousand minus the highest outstanding balance that you've had in the past year. So mm. even if you pay back a loan, uh, some people make the mistake they take fifteen thousand, pay it back, and they're like, all right, let me go take forty thousand. Well, sorry, if you did it within a mm-hmm. year, those two numbers are greater than fifty. So even if you have, you know, a, a large account balance, you you can't take everything in a loan. Uh, generally, you have to pay it back in five years. There's some plans that offer residential loan, which would go to a 30-year uh, or 15-year maybe wow. uh, loan. We we really want to discourage, you know, you don't see a lot of residential loans, um, but some people do take <laughs> loans. Uh, quite frankly, they take loans to help finance college. Right. And, and even with, I guess, uh, the, the, uh, and after you said that, uh, Rob, I was trying to think. So there's, I guess, a, a couple of pluses to a loan from your 401k are A, the ease of availability. Mm-hmm. You're not filling out a loan application. You're not going through a bank. You're probably going online and entering in some info. Uh, the interest rate may be a little bit less than you can get for a personal loan yeah. um, you know, through a bank or a credit card company. Um, the, the, and then obviously the the payback um, is through payroll deduction. So it's yeah. a little bit, you know, you kind of don't see that. Like you said, yeah. they could offset their their contribution to the 401k less their loan repayment perhaps. So their their paycheck impact could be zero, but they're missing out if they take all 50000 in a loan, they're yeah. missing out on the growth of that fifty, which is the downside, the growth of that fifty, the compounding, and then also the tax on the repayment right. of that fifty when they retire. Right, you do pay it yourself, so that's yep. <laughs> that's the advantage, and and it is easy credit. Uh, you actually don't have to have uh, any kind of credit score. 
Right. Uh, and again, we're not promoting it. We're not encouraging it. We really want everybody to know uh, many of our listeners have a loan and understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, some plans, it's interesting, Pat, that some plans even have a loan provision in part because people wouldn't participate if they didn't know they could get, they could their, money. get their money. They could have access if they need it. Now, not Wow. You know, 10, 10% of the population, in 10 to 15% is usually a take-up rate on borrowing from the plan. Uh, we help our clients if they have uh, higher than that or higher than the averages, uh, industry averages. We typically say, look, we need some education here. People need to know what they're looking at. Or maybe it's a plan design thing, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen a client that had a very, very high, generous match. Everybody would rush in put all their money, 9% of their money, yeah. and then they turn around and borrow it. Right. <laughs> you know, so um, that's a good point. we don't want to have that either. And that's a good point too, um, Rob. I, we talked about vesting in the, sort of the second segment. People can't take a loan or a hard trip withdrawal on their non-vested balance, right? right? It has right. to be their has to be their money or their vested yeah. balance. Yeah, and sometimes it's just uh, limited to employee money. Oh, okay. You know, so yeah. Got you got to save it to get it, right? the way it works. So we've talked about, um, so from a retirement perspective, um, most employers, um, most larger employers, as you mentioned, or mid-sized to large employers offer 401k, may not be, um, may not have all the features, but they offer something. They may not have the match because of cost restrictions, but they at least allow employees to save pre-tax, grow pre-tax, come out pre-tax mm-hmm. if they do it correctly. Um, and then there's something in my world um, that is operates very similarly to the 401k that is recent. Um, 2006 is, I guess, fairly recent, um, which is the health savings account. Um, and this one acts a little bit more like the 401k, um, although with maybe fewer restrictions, but um, a similar... Um, I guess a similar yeah. purpose if people use it for retirement. In other mm. words, using the health savings account for retirement. Um, I'll talk about the medical piece of it, and then if you can talk a little bit about the savings account piece. So for people who don't have exposure to this or access to this, so a health savings account is an account that is uh, can only be offered with, or you can only make contributions to it, if your employer, you have to be a employee um, for contribution purposes, if your employer offers what's called a high deductible health plan, or an HDHP. And although people may have their own feelings about what a high deductible health plan is, the IRS weighs in and says that a high deductible health plan is a plan that has a a minimum deductible of, this is for 2019, Rob will talk about the contribution piece of it, but this is just the deductible piece on the medical piece, um, has a deductible of $1,350 for an individual and $2,700 for a family. So your health plan, your underlying health plan, your medical plan, has to have a deductible at least $1,350 for a single uh, and $2,700 for any other tier, two-person or family. And the other kicker to the high deductible plan, which is what people 
trips people up or people don't understand is that the other feature of the high deductible health plan that allows you to have an HSA is all non-preventive services, including prescription drugs, have to uh, be subject to the deductible, meaning that if you're a single individual enrolled in individual coverage, you have to pay out of pocket $1,350 every plan year before your plan pays for non-preventive services. So your annual exam and uh, blood work, et cetera, that's um, part of your routine physical would be covered um, with no member cost share, but you ha- would have to pay for your prescription drugs, any other sick visits, any other surgeries up to that $1,350 um, before, um, and, and that's the way the plan has to be. And then, so what employers do is if they offer that type of plan, they're off, they can offer a health savings account, which is not a flexible spending account. So Rob, talk about a little bit about HSA. It's funny that, Pat, you know, we talked about, (coughs) we talked in the beginning about how our worlds are colliding. So what would a retirement guy have any interest in a health (laughs) savings account, you know? But yes, why do you have uh, But really, you know, it's it's actually quite uh, interesting because I, you know, I had (coughs) dinner with friends and um, last night and they were talking about evaluating open enrollment and Uh, health savings accounts and uh, you know I was flattered that they asked me my opinion but Mm. I I, you know the health savings accounts um, initially I think a lot of people were just using it to to pay those deductibles pay those uh, out-of-pocket costs Um, and they may still be doing it but there's a powerful switch going on where if people can manage their health care and they're fortunate enough not to have all those uh, expenses up to the deductible, um, they might be able to turn that and save it. Unlike a flexible spending account, I'm sure everybody knows that you have to use within the period of time, the year, year plus, three months. Mm-hmm. But a health savings account is is portable and doesn't uh, have to be used up. So on the retirement side, this is very important, health health spending uh, is is a, a a big expense that even people with retiree medical coverage could benefit from this. So let me just share with you what what we're seeing in there uh, in the benefits place is is that when you have a high deductible plan, you, you know, we're not going to get into the communication on Pat's side how <laughs> how difficult it is to explain why it used to be a copay now it's a high deductible, but. People are people are saving in this uh, account, and they're initially probably just putting it into a um, like a bank account, and that money can roll, as I mentioned, and accumulate. So let's say you're in it for a few years, and and you're able to have uh, saved um, more than what you're spending, obviously. So they call it a health savings account. They don't call it a health spending account, right? That's right. right. So. Um, mm-hmm. That's above my pay grade, but <laughs> they, they, the features of a health savings account, it's, it's actually, I think you're going to say it's like has advantages of that 401k and Roth 401k, but let me just walk you through. So health savings accounts like a 401k is pre-tax. It's actually not even subject to um, Social Security and Medicare. So it's even a better um, tax uh, advantage than a than a 401k. Now I want you to stay with that match. I don't want you to forget about that. <laughs> but let's say you meet the match, 
and you're in a high deductible account, at minimum, you should try to figure out what your costs are and expenses are going to be. And if you can afford a little bit more, you, you go for it, right? So this comes out of you, uh, out of your account pre-tax. I would argue that if the $50 example, it would be 35 now, right? So, mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit less. But this goes in into an account on your account. And then you can use this if you, for medical expenses, even after you leave that company, after you retire, you could go to a, a, a plan that has a copay and use this uh, account. You can't have this account unless you have a high deductible as far as funding, but you can keep it and you could be at another job, you could be retired and use it. So it goes in pre-tax, it comes out without tax. So that's where it betters the the 401k that was subject to income tax it reimburses yourself or you could pay directly to the provider it's not taxed then so it's now more like a Roth 401k and where does the retirement come in not only are you saving for your retirement expenses it's not just a 401k right it's you're saving for your medical and other uh, items in retirement uh, vacations or uh, just your income. So you now have this account that's triple tax-free. It's tax-free going in, it earns tax-free, and it comes out uh, tax-free. So can you imagine if you're able to accumulate? Uh, additional benefit is, and this I guess is more of a retirement, is that you can invest it. <clears throat> so a strategy might be, look, let me get it up and running. Let me save a little bit more than what I think my expenses will be. Uh, let me roll that. And then maybe I have set aside a couple thousand dollars in that account. And then I invest over time the rest of it. So maybe you have an emergency medical savings account. So everybody always uh, you know, talks about having an emergency account. This could be another emergency savings account. And then you can have a retirement type um, health savings health savings account. So we really like this, and this is this is where all benefits are combining in. Um, employers are looking at this. Uh, people are able to save themselves some money, perhaps on their medical expenses, but also on paying for those medical expenses. And uh, and really, you want to have a, a a program designed. That incorporates all these benefits, and and Rob on the the the, the amounts people can put in, this is totally separate and yeah. distinct from um, the four hundred one k limits, right? These are yeah. in addition to. Yeah. So the limits for twenty nineteen are thirty five hundred dollars for an individual, seven thousand for family coverage, and then as Pat mentioned <laughs> earlier, if you're fifty five, yeah. you can put an additional thousand in 2019 so you could you could potentially put you know say eight thousand dollars in there if you're in your high deductible one thing you should uh be aware is that some employers are actually incenting uh to give employer contribution into this much like a 401k they're giving some of that in but keep in mind that if they do that that's a wonderful benefit but it's a combined limit so you would have the employee and employer contributions going up to that family coverage of seven thousand. Right, right. So it's a the only you can have literally if you're 
if you're 55, you could put 25,000 in your 401k, and if you're enrolled in family coverage with a high deductible, you can put 8,000. And, and yeah. that's without the um, the employer match yeah. on the 401k, because um, the 401k, the employer match is in addition in to, yes. as opposed to the employer match. So there's there are some differences, yes. uh, and I want to talk a little bit about getting money out of the HSA, or more to your point, Rob, about sort of using the HSA as retirement, because that's what I think a lot of people now who are into them early are trying to do, and I'll explain sort of how to do that. And we can talk about that and then get into a little bit of um, sort of end with hopefully some uh, financial wellness, maybe talk a little student loan repayment. So we will do that after the break. This is Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Here's what people want to know about me. Are you a fiduciary? Are you independent? And thus are your recommendations for me in my best interest? Are your costs reasonable? Can you help me with my money and making a plan for my future? Fortunately, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Call my office to find out more. 781-834-2010. You own a business or you're running a nonprofit or a municipality and you just might be somewhat overwhelmed with all the changes in state health care law, federal mandates, rules governing retirement, employee benefits. For instance, do your employees understand the value and costs of their current benefits? Oh, and by the way, what about tomorrow's changes in state and federal policy? Keeping up is a full-time job. You have better things to do. Gallagher Benefits of Boston and Quincy are benefits experts. To be somewhat formal, Gallagher Benefits offers strategic consulting that assists employers in providing wellness and health promotion programs and offers advisory services to provide insight, understanding, and answers. Let Gallagher handle the headaches. Visit the web at AJG.com. Leave the aspirin on the shelf. AJG.com. This is Kirk Reed from McNamara Financial. I often get asked, when should I start collecting Social Security? It's not always a quick question to answer, but an important one. If you'd like to have a conversation about your situation, give me a call at 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. We're back. This is 95.9 WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and you are listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. Thank you, Mrs. McNamara. Happy to be back. This is Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits. My colleague Rob Decker from Gallagher's Retirement Area is with me. We're talking all things retirement, and we, at the last segment, we started crossing over to um, to my world in the employee benefits area. But one question I had that I was thinking of, Rob, because we started talking about HSAs and how they're different from flexible spending accounts in terms of the use it or lose it and the fact that it's your money. And one question I wanted to ask, sort of go back to the 401k just to close the loop for a second. Um, we talked about loans. You talked about when people leave. On a portability issue or, or concern, let's say I been working for an employer for, you know, 20 years and I'm vested. I've got a pretty good balance in my 401k. Let's say it's with a well-known record keeper. I go to a new job and they offer a 401k. Mm. What are my options? What, sh- what, what typically do employees do? So from a portability perspective, how does that work? Sure. Um, you usually have options to 
Most plans now uh, welcome a rollover <laughs> from your former employer. Um, they don't have to, but again, they most of them do. And uh, you you generally have the option of a few things. You could uh, often leave the money at your former employer, uh, and that might be okay, or that might be something that you're, well, I'm not really working with them, mm-hmm. not in touch with them. Um, you could roll it into your new employer uh, if they permit it. And again, I think most of them are doing it now. So you would roll it. You wouldn't touch it. It would go directly. It might be a check to, to the for your benefit, but it would go into that new plan uh, under the name of the, the company's plan. And uh, it would go in. Uh, in there, some some uh, providers that Pat was talking about, they're able to do that electronically uh, instead of just the old-fashioned send you a check and then you walk the check into your, um, you know, in, into your plan. So you could roll it over. You could also set set up an IRA. Um, that that's up to you as well. But usually, the some of the considerations that we we help people with is that if if they leave it there their, you know, their money needs to be uh, accounted for. So if you roll your money into a new plan, new provider, uh, it gets it all into consolidation and gets you it, easier to manage it uh, on, on your own. You don't want to have, be aggressive in one and very conservative investor in another. So it makes it easier. It's also easier to use their tools to forecast your retirement. There's a lot of benefits there. Uh, some of the some of the things for consideration are expenses, and and mm. and it's a, it's probably a topic for another day. But you know, uh, the way the way the record keeper is often paid is uh, either two ways. Is it's either inside the fund share class. Uh, so the in, you pay for the investment manager. And then there's another expense that actually goes to the record keeper. That's called revenue sharing. That's uh, perfectly fine. We're helping most of our clients go into the new new way. And that is more of a transparent fee uh, situation where you go to the lower expense or lowest expense often uh, share class of the fund. And then there is a wrap fee or an expense charge that goes to the record keeper. Mm. So... Everybody pays the same thing on on the um, on the to the record keeper. It's very transparent, but we do have to you know help the clients and help the employees to understand that it wasn't free before, and now that you have transparency, you have a better understanding. So yep. And Rob, the one thing um, and help me on this because I think this is more um, appropriate now where you hear about some companies, um, in terms of their 401k or if a company gets sold, let's say in my example, that person worked 20, 25 years, got a balance, um, and they moved to another company and they, for various reasons, maybe wanted to leave it separate or, you know, they could manage both or, inv- or maybe there's different tracks, but from the, they, they don't necessarily have to, unlike a pension plan, they don't have to worry necessarily about what happens to their former employer in terms of if they're bought, sold, go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, that money is at the record keeper. Exactly. It's, it's physically sitting outside of the company. It's not like you're not leaving it yeah. at the company. Is yeah, there's no, uh, no need for a pension benefit guarantee You know that the company might go out and you might not get your pension, if you will. It's, it's identifiable. It's secure. Um you know, there's a separate trust. Uh, there's an individual that doesn't need to be mentioned, but there's none <laughs> of that going on in uh, retirement or v- 
highly protected. Right. So, yeah, the money is yours. It's identified as yours. Uh, you can often... Uh, the only times you have to do something is if you had a small balance. Right, because they may, um, they may they, want to they cash would, it out. They would, uh, and, it, and it's expensive to administer that. So they might they might give you a notice and say, if you don't do anything, we're going to roll it and we're going to cash you out. Um, and most people just pick up the phone and maybe they'll just roll it to their new employer. Right, but the worst thing to do from a... Um, if you do leave a former employer with a big balance, don't request a check. Don't mm. don't get it payable to you. Don't put it in your account and then yeah. write a check because you'll it'll be treated as a distribution. Yeah, I guess right. I was deliberately silent on yeah. on the fourth <laughs> option. Yeah, of course you could you can take the money, uh, but as Pat says, that's just like that withdrawal that we talked about earlier, and that's uh, that's a tough way to you know that derails your retirement for sure. But um, you know, that, that's a tough one to do. Yep. Um, okay, now I just wanted to sort of close the loop on 401k from, you know, we talked about eligibility and I wanted to go all the way through sort of termination, mm. if you will. Um, so now back to our topic of health savings accounts. So we're talking about health savings accounts, you know, how they're different than flexible spending accounts. They're not spending, they're saving. Um, we've got the limits. They've been around for a while. Some people could have some large balances. We do have some clients in particular who use it simply as a, an addition, an, an excess retirement plan. They simply put in the maximum every year and let it sit there. And even if they do have expenses, they'll pay with after mm. tax because the benefit is better. Um, so one of the things to keep in mind about the HSA, and I think Rob mentioned a few of these, and what we see, which is, uh, it, it's gotten a little bit better now, but it's a little strange in that um, there, are, there are many ways to fund the HSA. You can either do the, the pay, payroll deduction, you can write a check. Um, as Rob mentioned, the employer can contribute as well. The difference here between the employer contribution to the HSA and the employer contribution to the um, 401k is for the most part, when an employer makes a contribution to the HSA, it's the employee's money right away. There's no vesting. There may be a complicated formula to get the match, a, a match or the contribution, like in other words, you've got to meet certain criteria. But once it goes in, the way it works is it's literally a bank account set up. It's yours, meaning it's yours as the employee. You get the debit cards, you get the the checkbook. So mm -hmm. <laughs> the the onus. Is, so if you start writing checks in Rob's example, you're not going to buy a boat with your HSA balance. Let's say you buy a TV. Um, you're the one, the, the the check will go through. The debit card wouldn't, but the, the check would go through because you're reimbursing yourself. Um, but at the end of the year, when you do your taxes, you'll get the forms with your distributions and you're the one that has to swear under penalties of perjury that these were all qualified medical expenses. So that's how the checks and balances work on the HSA. Early on, we saw some weird things <laughs> with the checks because it was, you know, literally the employees were just in charge of the checkbook. And if it was a hardship withdrawal, it was a hardship withdrawal that they wrote. Um, so a couple of things, uh, Rob mentioned it too, and what we see is, again, if you're in a position where you can do it, let's say your employer offers the minimum deductible, which again for 2019 is 2700 for a family, yet you can put in $7,000 if you are enrolled in family coverage. Now, there is an out-of-pocket maximum. Some of the plans outside of the Northeast have uh, coinsurance or other costs other than a deductible. So you may have an out-of-pocket maximum, you know, the, the 
the max max is actually 13,500. But in the Northeast, we typically don't see that. We see something closer to 5,000, 6,000. So think about that for a second. In the worst case scenario, let's say you have a plan that has a $5,000 out-of-pocket max, which would include the deductible and co-pays and any co-insurance, but you can put in 7,000. So in your worst case, you'd, you'd, if you had to pay it, you'd pay 5,000. You'd still have 2,000 left over that you could carry forward towards next year. And again, if you have the same plan, you can see how it would build. And then once you get some of the um, vendors have uh, minimums, but once you get over the minimum, you can start investing. And that's where, as Rob and I have been pointing out, our worlds collide where you can start investing your HSA money. Now, granted, there's risk there because you could have less than you had as a balance. But um, the HSA plan, again, from an just to close the loop on this, from an employer perspective, um, the premiums on the high, uh, underlying high deductible plan are lower, obviously, because you've got a lot of expense hitting the deductible first. So the premiums are lower. That means the employee contribution or what the employee pays is typically lower. The um, you get the ability to um, offer an additional savings vehicle for your employees, especially those who either max out or want something a little different. Um, and again, you can do it retention-wise. You can you know, do your contributions based on certain um, criteria. But it also is a way, and this is where we're seeing it a lot more, it's a way to, because most private employers today don't offer retiree medical. Mm. So in retirement, you know, we had the Medicare shows in October and we had the seminar uh, with Mike um, McNamara's group uh, and Peter Stoner from Stoner Medicare did a great job of explaining Medicare. There's still going to be some medical costs in retirement and you may not want to tap your 401k for those. You may have other ideas about what you want to do with your retirement savings. So again, HSA, the only rules uh, are... Um, as Rob said, you have to be enrolled in the high deductible to contribute, but to use it, once you have balance, you can use it regardless of what plan you're enrolled in. You can even use it, as I mentioned, in retirement. When you have Medicare, you can pay you know, for your spouse and kids, any dependents, expenses, um, and all that, as long as they're qualified medical. Similarly, it works similar. They use a different age, but their catch-up contribution, I believe, Rob, is only 1000 right, for the 55 um, and there's penalties if you, um, there's an, a higher excise tax, I think, than the 401k. It's a 20% oh. excise if you use it uh, for non-qualified. So they're, that was part of the ACA. They wanted to really punish you for buying that TV. So <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot more, even if it's on sale. Um, so again, HSAs, good, um, good topic. Uh, good for people who can, as you mentioned, Rob, if, the, if you're a person who doesn't have a lot of medical expenses other than your annual physical and maybe a few prescription drugs, you can take advantage. And even if you put money in and use some of it for medical expenses, you still may end up um, better off. Hmm. Um, so close the loop there. So now um, to talk the other thing that's, it's sort of crossing paths because we've, in health and welfare, which is what I spend my time in, uh, wellness or well-being, engagement, that's been a part of medical plans for a long time. Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, looking at our large claims or looking at expenses, what's causing the most claims? Is it chronic conditions? Are they controllable conditions? For the most part, the way our, believe it or not, 
since when I started, most of the high claims are not cancer. They're not things that we can't control. They're controllable things, whether it's diabetes, obesity, you know, on the on the type 2 side, um, but other things that we can control. So I think this is the other way. I think well-being or wellness has gone into the financial wellness because mm-hmm. some of our wellness people have said that the reason people are stressed out or sick or not eating right or not taking care of themselves is they're stressed out financially. Mm. And Rob, how does so so that's another place where our worlds collide and what, what sort of is the what are the new things in the whole financial, I guess, well-being uh, space? Well, we're certainly working together more and more and uh, you know, historically we've shared clients, but now we're sharing strategies and uh, in the benefits world Things are changing, and I, I like to say for everyone's well-being, if you will. Sorry. So I like that. financial stress is is real. Uh, people think about their money a lot, and it shows up in healthcare claims. It shows up in productivity. Um, they don't save for retirement. They they run into un, unforeseen expenses, and they borrow from. So, really, the goal is working all together is to help these employers design benefits that integrate across all aspects. We want to be able to educate employees about the need to save for retirement. We want to even go further, where the record keepers historically focused on 401ks. Now they're focusing on uh, how can we educate you about financially? How can we even help you understand uh, how to fund college loans? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, really quite remarkable how, how we're all colliding in uh, in this. So what are, what are the companies doing? Well, when you look at your auto open enrollment uh, this weekend, perhaps, when you look <laughs> at this... As we do, Rob. We yes. have to look. Ours started, Study it. Ours started on November well, 1st, goes through the 15th. You mm. have an extra hour, so maybe that's what you do tomorrow, right? You, Good point. You, mm. the, your employees, <clears throat> if you're an employer, your employees are worried about it. So some of the employers are coming out with programs uh, that cover financial well-being and it's not a numerical goal but more of an approach and an emotional state we want to help people make them feel more comfortable so how are they doing this well one way we help clients is that we have a workforce tool and we evaluate in a very very detailed amount of data on the health and welfare and the retirement side we want to know how they're utilizing those benefits uh, life insurance included so we look at all that data and then we help. And it's amazing to me, Pat, that you'll see a number of these clients that have a very generous health care, but they're not able to uh, give an employer match That's or right. vice versa. So we want to align it. We want to have it's all one pocket of money, right? It's not it's not a special deal. And we're now seeing more and more of these benefits uh, of, of, you know, a company hiring someone to come in and uh, educate employees, mm-hmm. uh, helping people understand how to finance college. That's certainly something that uh, yes. everybody's doing more. And and really, the end goal is to is to help participants. But you know, we we want people to ask these questions. And I'll leave this uh, these questions with everybody to think about. When you're when you're thinking about retirement, do you feel like you're on track for retirement? If if there's an opportunity to learn more, have you taken it? You know, uh, it, whether it's the record keeper, whether it's a consulting firm like Gallagher, um, you might even learn on your own. There's plenty of tools out there. Um, 
then do you have money set aside for your health care expenses, right? So we don't want to save all in your retirement and take a loan to pay off a medical bill. And the, the HSA is, is perfect for that, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, you know, everybody needs to do a budget and have emergency savings. But we'll also say, you know, there's another way of getting to that emergency, emergency savings. Uh, medical costs can be one of the things that derail people on their financial plan. Mm-hmm. So then... The last question we want to ask is if your employer made this available, whether it's an open enrollment, you see it, or they announce that they're going to uh, bring in uh, one of these other uh, provider vendors that actually help on this, would you would you consider taking advantage of it? Yeah. I think everybody could learn uh, on this, and certainly our worlds are colliding. A benefit program used to be the number one thing would probably be health health care, right? We offer an excellent health care. But now if you look, clients are saying we have we have uh, health and financial well-being. You know, so more and more you're seeing that out. Uh, we really think that's where the market is heading, and we're excited to uh, help uh, both clients and employees understand that. And, Rob, typically... When I started doing this, you know, the employee meeting or the annual communication, this is even pre-internet, smartphone, all that, used to be this big book that no one read or these big long meetings where they got so much information at one time that you really weren't sure that, you know, we hit them. Um, I know what we've been doing. I'm interested to see what you guys are doing when we don't have because... In in the Gallagher world, you know, we have some clients that are retirement only, you know, that only have us for the retirement. They may mm-hmm. use another advisor on health and welfare and vice versa. But th- we do have some that we have joint. We may do a joint meeting or, or one right after another. But what we're seeing on health and welfare, right, the attendance is sort of down at the meetings. And it's primarily down because we're making it sort of too easy for the employees, mm-hmm. right, where hey, if you don't do anything, we'll just roll you over into the, uh, as opposed to making them do something mm-hmm. uh, with the automatic enrollment or something. So what we found is a um, couple of things. One is we've done a lot more um, spouse meetings. So in other words, whether it's male or female or male, male and female, female, it's usually sometimes we're talking to the wrong person. Mm. And that person who's sitting there can't take what we said back home. So we've done them, you know, either early morning, late afternoon. We've done um, uh, the recorded uh, brain sharks or webinars. uh, Or we've even done, you know, one-on-ones where we've had the spouse call us Mm -hmm. and say, oh, my, you know, my spouse works for XYZ company. I understand you guys. Tell me about the benefits. Um, So that's one. And the second thing is um, just different media. We don't do a lot of big books anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't want to know, like, just like you said, they don't, they want to know, you know, not what's in it for me, but either what's changed, what's different, what it's going to cost. Um, the good news, I think, on more on your side than our side, other than the HSA, is you've got something to tell them every year because the limits change at least. Um, something happens where you can get some excitement. I mean, a lot of these things we do um, as part of uh, a company meeting. You know, they're doing something else. Mm. Um, And then the other thing that we're always asked, and I'm interested on your end, you know, they ask us, what are other employers doing? Not only from a meeting standpoint, but is there a benefit out there that I'm not offering? Like, is someone doing something you always hear about? And I'm talking about more along the lines of what you and I do, not, you know, the 
the pinball machines and the foosball and the free lunch and all that stuff. But what do you what do you guys like? What's the next thing you think is going to happen in on the either the savings piece or the four hundred one k or the benefits um, world? Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, I think we have a couple advantages. To be honest, is one one advantage we have is the um, automatic features, but uh, we're seeing fee compression. We're seeing fees go down. We're not mm-hmm. seeing higher costs. We're seeing lower costs as as the plans grow and people save. So we're fortunate for that. Um, but we're we're not just focused on just like you. We're not just focused on retirement. We we work and advise clients on how they can do more holistic uh, benefits to their employees. And um, it, it could be anything. It could be college, you know, college education. We talked a little bit about that, mm-hmm. but. You know, there's there's some things in the marketplace. There was a, a firm that is uh, trying to do a uh, student loan payment program, and they had a private letter ruling, meaning mm-hmm. that only they can establish it. So it's right. very early, but they're they're going to essentially uh, put money into the 401k if the person is making the equivalent student loan repayments. Hmm. So it's fascinating, but way too early and very complex and. remarkably expensive but um (laughs) and that would be something where um again you mentioned so people know this i think from we're not tax lawyers or tax people but the private letter ruling is just for that specific set of circumstances but we can we sometimes the market interprets that to be this is the way it's going to happen there's some misinformation out there that that it's ready to go and right and uh, we had a lot of clients approach us so we have a white paper out there to help uh understand where we really see the opportunity is more of enhanced education and possibly the you know the the payroll deposits of a 529 mm-hmm. where where you can you can have a matching contribution into a 529 that uh, could be used for those uh, K through 12 or education expenses so we like that uh, that's certainly um, that could be managed very easily uh, the enhanced education is is a need out there we believe still mm-hmm. um, so I think those are similar similar um, challenges that we all face but at the same time, uh, there are some positives in the in the uh, retirement space. And right now, just to, to close the loop on the whole student loan thing, right now, if an employer wants to, you know, again from a retention, excuse me, from a retention and attraction or recruitment standpoint, if they want to help a student or an, a, a prospective employee out with student loans, they can certainly do that. It just becomes a taxable. Mm. It's taxable on both taxable sides. Income. It's taxable income and taxable to the. Um, yeah, that traditional way is uh, does help the employee speed up their payments, but taxable income to the employees, and um, I think we're going to see more more outside of that. You know right. that that. Um, you know, the enhanced education could just talk about how they could refinance that student loan and right. save them money. Right. And most of the, so we have a lot on our side, which again, our worlds are going to be a little bit closer, I think, as we go forward. So there are some firms out there who do student loan repayment plans mm. uh, as an employee benefit, but it's basically, it's still, the the vendor is right now, because again, of the tax, it, there's no tax advantage yet. It's just providing the employees either access to a streamlined refinance. You know, it's been a while, but uh, now I have um, children who have these. So on the student loan side, you know, you may have, you know, every semester you get a, a new loan. So when you, if you do it, you know, all four years, you may have eight different loans. So you may have some subsidized, some not. So you may have 16 different loans. 
what they do is, you know, they do a, a combined or streamlined refinance. They may allow for, you know, if it's an employer benefit payroll deduction. Mm-hmm. So there are some, I guess, soft benefits of that, but not, you know, it's not like we haven't reached the point yet where there can be um, sort of a tax benefit of the student loan repayment. Mm. I mean, we may get there at some point as student loan debt becomes more, uh, and that's one of the reasons that um, employers cite as why they don't contribute to the 401k, right, Rob? Mm. It's my new employees, they're already paying 500 bucks a month in student loans. They can't put another 500 mm. into their 401k. Right. So, um, so uh, a couple of things. So um, to summarize, Rob, 401k, if you can contribute, you should. You should understand the match. Um, now is a good time to do it. Most employers, though, however, offer uh, several times during the year to um, several times during the year to make a decision. Usually, sure. um, but again, we're in open enrollment time. Might as well do that. And they should, if they haven't received, go to HR, find out who who does the advising mm-hmm. on the. 401k and when ask when they're going to be here and get mm. them to come in and talk and attend the meeting mm. right it's nothing like getting up there rob in front of everyone and having people you know on their phones or doing something else um so thanks everyone for listening this was um uh, i want to thank rob decker from gallagher's retirement area for helping us out a couple of notices uh, remember that daylight savings time ends tonight So set your clocks back an hour before you go to bed. Change your batteries in your smoke uh, detectors and carbon monoxide. And Mike should be back next week. Have a good day.